0: Hi, welcome to Indie TV. I'm Peggy Robinson. Today's guest is Jeffrey Welsh, and I had him on almost a year ago, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I'm bringing some people back on that I that were my guinea pigs when I first started, so they can get a chance to tell their story uninterrupted from me. (laughs) Hi, Jeffrey.
1: Hi, Peggy. Thank you again for this uh, this second opportunity. What a pleasure it is to see you today.
0: Thank you. Nice to see you too. We've been Facebook friends for a long time. Probably ever since you were a guest. Yes,
1: yes. and uh, you were one of my first friends. I haven't been on Facebook uh, except for a couple of years ago for this purpose, and uh, I appreciate reading your, uh, your poetry and your story and uh, your, your encounter with the Lord in uh, you. your uh, multiple visits, I guess I should say.
0: So today we're going to hear about you and your amazing story, and I'm just going to let you take the floor.
1: Okay, Peggy. Now, knowing that you've uh, done this before, I'll I'll explain this story for those that are seeing this video for the first time and did not have the uh, privilege of seeing the first one. So uh, as a 19-year-old Christian young man, our family had had some uh, extreme difficulties. Um, Alcoholism entered the picture. Mom was a wonderful and intelligent uh, person. Uh, She had some severe back issues. she was being born in 1930 and they went undiagnosed. And so she went to many doctors and a lot of them thought there was just a pain that she was fabricating in her head. You know, and such was not the case. They found out many years later that she had scoliosis, had an extra vertebrae and some uh, herniated disc, which caused uh, multiple compressions. So indeed she was in real pain. It just couldn't be seen like a broken arm or a broken leg. So my wonderful mother, um, uh, top of her class in high school and also top of her class in, uh, in college developed a prescription drug problem. And it was because she went to doctors and they were doing their best. I'm not going to criticize anybody, her or them, but uh, they gave her prescription medicines. And uh, not knowing that these strong opiates can be addicting within uh, seven days, you get a 30 day supply. So mom would take her 30 day supply. She still has the pain. Nothing's fixed. Another 30 days and a year goes on, you know, this follows the same process. Um, My brother being older, my sister next, and then myself, we were all born. So we were not born into um, addiction itself, but it happened right after I was a child. And I I started to realize this when I was about three years old. Our family was unsettled. There was a lot of arguments. Uh, Alcoholism played a part. I knew mom was not mom, you know, when she was in this uh, condition because she had the prescription drugs and now on top of it, alcohol which again was highly promoted and uh, part of what we were supposed to do, and I, I can't stand that, uh, that thinking these days, but uh, the two together was, was a deadly combination. So at uh, three, four years of age, I understood that uh, our family was disrupted by addictions. Not knowing as a three, four-year-old, you know, what to do, I, I just existed day to day with mom and dad. Uh, didn't really coexist because they were in different houses. So my brother and my father would live in one house and my mother and my sister and I in a a second one. So some years go by, I end up in grade school and um, in a hearing test of all things, they found out that I was deaf in my left ear. So in order to uh, try to seek help, mom and dad did get together. Both of them great parents, just uh, uh, influenced by the, the, the evil of addictions. And so they, they take, took me to a Mayo Clinic to uh, get my hearing evaluated and see if they could fix it. And while I was there, it was such a great point in my life. And I, I mentioned this part first before my experience, because I want to try to uh, show a, an entire picture or puzzle pieces of an entire tapestry of my life. that I think the Good Lord is uh, orchestrating and directing me for certain reasons. So I go back to these God moments, if you will. And so this one was, uh, I was in the uh, lobby of the Mayo Clinic, uh, maybe maybe a hotel across the street. I, I sort of forget being that young. And dad was behind me talking to the hostess to ask where we go for our appointment. Mom was a little bit closer to me. I had stepped into the restaurant and saw this uh, table of gentlemen in uh, suits and ties. And I was staring at him because uh, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So one guy off to the side noticed I was staring and I was the only person in the restaurant besides them very early in the morning. And he tapped a guy sitting next to him on the shoulder. And he said, young man's looking at you or something to that effect because this gentleman turned around, looked at me. And he said, uh, come here, young man. He was going like that. And uh, I turned around to look at mom. And I said, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And, you know, to try to get permission. And so I went up to this gentleman and uh, he said, what's your name and why are you here? I said, I'm, I'm Jeffrey. And uh, I'm here because I'm, I'm deaf in my left ear and they're going to see if they can fix it. He said, do you know what kind it is? And I, I explained it a little bit. He, he says, you know, I, I understand this difficulty. And I don't know if he said he had that difficulty or he understood the difficulties. He said, but that particular thing, Jeffrey, they, they can't fix. It's a nerve deafness. They couldn't back then. I don't know about now. I haven't had a check. They can fix other things, but not the nerve deafness. And he was explaining that. He said, do you mind if I hold your hand and pray? I said, I, I would enjoy that. And he said, by the way, do you know who I am? I said, yes, that's while i was staring i said you're reverend billy graham and so billy graham asked to hold my hand and pray uh-huh. and so i held him uh-huh. in the circle with with this group of gentlemen in suits and ties and billy graham praying whatever he did and as a seven-year-old 1969 uh, i don't really remember everything but i do remember this part he prayed that god gives me the talent to here are the things people refuse to listen to or listen to the things people refuse to hear. I don't know which way he said it, but I understood that to what it means. So I think that was the uh, the uh, starting line of God's tapestry for me. But to uh, to move on, uh, it was about oh let's see, 1968. I am reading my notes so I don't get lost or repeat. And uh, I went to, uh, a friend of mine asked me to, uh, it was actually dad's friend, and dad being in another city, another house, said, Jeff, would you like to go to a Christian men's retreat camp uh, for a weekend? And I really wanted to say no, but the thing that came out of my mouth was yes. <laughs> so I said yes, and I went feeling uncomfortable and sort of like a fifth wheel, And met his friend, and his friend had a, a son that's my age, and uh, he's now a, a doctor and a minister, a medical doctor and a minister both. And uh, he was there, and I knew him, but just didn't know him well. We'd go to car shows about once a year together. So having the heartache of the the, uh, family situation, the the addictions, and the the broken family, I was in this prayer meeting with the the, uh, uh, men's group. And I thought, yeah, I've heard prayers before. I've gone to church before, but this feels real. So I don't know if it was a Holy Spirit moment, you know, that I felt. And I thought, yes, this is what I want. And this is what I know about, and this is what I'm to achieve, and what it's for. So I enjoyed that immensely, and I remembered that meeting as well. So sometime later, about that, oh age ten, I guess it was, we had met for a Christmas meeting, and Dad at his mother's house, my grandmother's house, said, "We we need to go find your aunt Sylvia. She hasn't shown up. She's supposed to show up." Well, Aunt Sylvia was known as a, a prescription drug addict and alcoholic. So at this point, I'm thinking half the world is that way, maybe correctly so. So we go across town to her uh, apartment to see why she hasn't shown up for the, the Christmas dinner yet. And Dave was a little bit apprehensive. And uh, I noticed her kind of special interest car out in the parking lot. So he says, well, let's let's go ahead and leave because she's not here. And I said, I think she is. That's her car out there. He said, well, OK. And he, I don't know if he was writing a note to leave on the door or something, but he said, "Why don't you go ahead and on?" Uh, he said, "Why don't you go ahead and knock again?" I think he said, and I thought, "I'll just try the doorknob." So I tried the doorknob, and it was unlocked. So I said, "It's open." And Dad was still writing a note. He said, well, "Go ahead on in, and take a look." But he was thinking she wasn't there. So I go in, and I see a devastation everywhere in the apartment: trash, bottles of alcohol, beer, cigarette ashes, turned-over tables and chairs. I thought, well, the place has been burglarized here. I didn't really know that it was a party scene. So it was a wild party scene, apparently. So I go around the corner and I I said, dad, I think she's back here. I hear a fan blowing. He goes, well, go ahead and look, you know, I'm going to finish this note. And so I go around and to the bedroom and there she is on the bed and she's in a, uh, oh, kind of a sheer looking uh, nightgown, which is soaking wet. And I thought, did she go outside in the rain? Was she in the shower? And I, apparently it was sweat. And that, the carpet, I realized I was standing in the carpet. And it was full of some kind of moisture. I don't know what. And so I'm thinking, she's not alive. So as a 10 year old, I yell for dad out there again. And he's on his way in. I'm putting my finger up on her nose. I've seen it on TV, I guess. I'm trying to feel for breath. Didn't know anything else to do. And I didn't feel any breath. So dad gets on her phone immediately and calls the ambulance. Ambulance comes out and takes her away. I'm still not sure if she's alive or not, uh, but I'm, I'm in shock at this point. And uh, so it was an hour later that we understood that she is alive. She was just on an overdose and she's uh, likely gonna live. So then our, the plans were not with me, but uh, I could hear them talking about some type of rehab. So that was another experience that I think sets the stage for where I, where I am today. Um, I got to stop because I got to share another story later, but my other grandmother had a, a nervous problem because her, her husband was uh, alcoholic and abusive to both her and my mother. So there's no surprise that my mother had these same issues. You know, it's kind of been passed down from one generation to another, but she had this nervous habit and she'd go cover her mouth and go, but, but, but Jeffrey, and she'd say like that, you know, she always wanted me to help mom, you know, cause I was a baby of the family. So her repeating, but, 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 and covering her mouth, I actually have a, a title chapter that's titled, but, but, but <laughs> she said, promise me, promise me, you'll never leave your mother alone. She needs your help. She has you know a problem and she couldn't say uh, drunkenness or prescription drug addicts. She couldn't say those words later, later she did. So uh, she had grown in that, but she would always make me promise, you know, that uh, I would never leave mother and abandon her. So fast forwarding to high school, um, I basically did not graduate high school because mom was near death at that point. She had had this addiction for all those years up to my years, uh, 18 years of age. And she just looked like a homeless person. Her, she, her eyes were uh, black and dark circles and her face sunken in and she could barely move. And she was in a, a, a mental fog all the time. She was not alert. Uh, everybody else given up on her. They told me to go to college and don't worry about it. And I simply could not do it. I, I just could not do it. And one for grandma going, but, but, but don't ever leave your mother. You know, I just kept hearing this. And two, I love her. You know, I, I couldn't do it. It was, and then she would certainly die, I thought, if I left. So uh, in high school, I pretended to go to school, drove my own car. I would drive out the driveway, long driveway out in the country and uh, go somewhere to eat, go, play pool frisbee go to the park you know uh, local parks next door or down the road and come back home about the time school was out so she didn't have a clue that I wasn't going there so every once in a while I would go to school just to check in knowing I was doing my homework and I was in an English class and my high school counselor I won't mention names because I don't think we do that on the internet but a nice uh, older lady at the time and my English teacher saw me sitting in the class and he went, you know, kind of gave me a look. And then he went out, came back five minutes later with this counselor. The counselor goes, come here, Jeffrey. And everybody in the class is going, oh, oh no, he's caught. And I thought, oh, how can I escape? I'm on the second floor. There's only windows here. She's covering the only <laughs> door. I can't escape. So I went, she had a reputation to be a mean woman and I won't use the name that people called her. And because I didn't know her that, that way, but she had a tough, mean uh, reputation. So she took me down to the uh, counselor's office and she asked me, how you doing? And I s- said, fine. And she goes, no, uh, really, how are you doing? I thought, what, what's she doing? You know, I was confused. She really wanted to know what was going on. It was the first time in my life somebody asked. I had seen it and been part of it, but nobody really asked, nobody cared. This I know what did. you
0: mean.
1: Oh yeah. And so I thought, this, this is you know about like that Christian retreat. This is, this is real, but unusual. And so she was real and unusual as well. And so I cried for three hours in front of her and she cried in in addition. And she said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go to one class a week. I want you to continue skipping school. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm deaf in one ear, but let's use my good ear. (laughs) Did she just say, I want you to continue skipping school? Because that's not what they say. They usually say you're out of here, you know, or you're in detention. And she said, I am concerned about your mother. I think you're right. I think she's probably near death from your description he said do she said do what you do and i want you to come to school once a week i think it was once a week for one hour and i want you to go to a class in the back and it's um called i'm okay i think was the title of the class Really, i'm okay or it's okay i forget which and i said all right what is it and she said it's a uh, it's a group she said we're not really supposed to talk about it but and uh, unfortunately she's in heaven now. So I think I can talk about it because nobody's going to come back on her for this beautiful uh, gift she gave me. And she said, uh, a group of us Christians have put together a class in the back and it's around where they're remodeling. You can come in from that side door nobody will see you. And you can leave it as you're done. I will check your attendance, make sure you're there. And she said, otherwise I want you to call in and say, Hey, I'm okay. I'm checking on mom. So I, I agreed. And so many weeks went by last semester of my high school year. And before that, I was uh, average student, maybe above average. And uh, so the time came for the last moment and waited for the bell to ring. And it seemed like it took five times longer to ring this time than it did ever before because it was going to be the last bell of my high school career. And so I went down the hallway, kind of the light was blinding me, and saw the skinny door with the security wires on it. I'm just gonna head out there and then figure out what I'm gonna do the rest of my life now I, I don't know I gotta go check on mom and then try to figure it out so anyway uh, this lady my counselor her friend she came around the corner about that time she said hi Jeff you know how you doing I said, "Oh, good to see you she's getting ready to leave the uh, the final bell rang she goes know. I, I want you to come in my office again and talk and so I uh, gladly did so I enjoyed being with her so we talked again and she said, you know that you did not graduate in this world course. Yes. She said, but I'll tell you what, um, I did something for you. I said, what's that? And she said, here's your report card. She slid it across the table. I mean, it said HP's on everything. I thought HP's. And she said, do you know what that stands for? I said, no, I'm used to A through F, typically closer to F's. <laughs> and, uh, she says it, it stands for uh, honorary passing. And of course, I start tearing up at that point. Oh. I said, you know, and I may do so here too. So forgive me, Peggy, if I do. You know, to the Holy Spirit, it's heartfelt. But uh, she said, I, I believe you deserve it. And she said, uh, can you go to graduation? The ceremony is, well, I hadn't even thought about it because, you know, I just now learned of this. And then... She said, well, your mom and dad come. And I said, I don't know. Don't know if they can, but I'll tell them. That way it kind of goes along with my don't tell them thing, you know, because they're going to expect some kind of graduation ceremony. So uh, I said, my sister will come. She may not behave herself. She always yells and screams when they tell you not to. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, so that she she was going to be fun, in my opinion. And she said, well, you know, we had to order the uh, the gowns, the blue gowns long time ago and of course we don't have one for you because you you weren't going to graduate and we didn't order us right she said do you remember the uh and i i'm fogging the details so forgive me a long time ago when I was, I was in the midst of you know enjoying the holy spirit protecting me she said do you remember the the young man that was or young girl i think it was a young man that was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver so i think it might have been a student there i can't uh, fathom any other way this worked and uh, I said, I heard about it. I didn't know him. Who was it was him. And she said, uh, well, he had a gown. And she brought it up on top of the table. And she said, here it is. She says, I want you to wear it with pride and with meaning. And so I'm going, oh, Lord, Lord. What a beautiful thank soul. For, uh, yes. Thank you for uh, thinking that I can handle this, Lord. <laughs> but how wonderful is this? So. Uh, fast forwarding the story, uh, I get in line the day of graduation. I didn't know the person in front of me. I didn't know the person behind me. We were alphabetical. So it kind of tells you I missed quite a bit of school. So anyway, I go and mom is there, uh, about half sober. It was early in the day. She usually was not sober after five o'clock in the evening. Mornings, about 50% sober. So I think she was sober enough. And dad was there from another city. My sister, they said, please do not yell when you hear your family member's name, and of course, they named Jeff Welsh, and she screamed as loud as she could. <laughs> I was laughing down deep, but I thought they're going to expel me yet, and I only have one, one more chance. So, that uh, the graduation happened. So, coming to my out-of-body experience, which we now call near-death experience in, in some areas, and some other uh, acronyms, it was a short time after that high school graduation. So, that, that being another God moment, I tried to buy and sell cars. I looked at another job. I looked at college. I went to college. I quit. I couldn't leave mom, even though it's community college. I thought that's too many hours away. She's not well yet. And so I'm out riding this motorcycle and it's a fast racing type uh, street motorcycle. And I had a guy come in to look at it, to, to buy it within a couple hours later that day. So I cleaned it up I thought, you know what? I'm gonna take one more ride out in the beautiful hills. Uh, brown county neighboring brown county and come back and then get ready to sell it so i take this ride 45 minutes later i return and uh, our driveway is long and paved and goes into the woods around the lake uh, down in a ravine, and then back up it was uh oh, a quarter to half mile long i wish i knew the actual but i don't but the road going into it was fairly wide and so our driveway entrance was wide so i thought you know what you know i was kind of a daredevil anyway and I think I shared this with you before, but for our new viewers, uh, right. I was thinking of this t shirt that a Sprint car friend gave me, and it said, Faster and faster until the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death.
0: That was and your t
1: shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that was a t shirt. So, and that was my mentality, which was worse. It wasn't just something I was wearing, it was something else. So, uh, say that again. What it,
0: was. But,
1: it was faster. Faster, I think a comma, faster, a comma, faster, until the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death. And so it's kind of for a, a speed adrenaline junkie, which I guess I was, you know, I'm not, not real bright, with, a blonde from Kentucky. So I had everything going against me. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to turn the throttle on this motorcycle, go into my driveway as fast as I can. So I had a head start going into it, the driveway, but slightly up the hill. I then had a straightaway and this bike was fast. I'm estimating I was doing right at 100 miles per hour on our driveway, which wasn't illegal, you know, because it was our private property. Yeah, it was noisy and loud and all that kind and of stuff. And it was the
0: last <laughs> run before you sold it, correct?
1: Yes, and it was all, all shined up and ready ready to sell. <laughs> and so the tree was going by in my peripheral vision, you know, like toothpicks and it's just a swishing sound and my uh, tears were crying out of my eyes horizontally, just flying straight back. And so I'm getting ready to approach this curve, which is downhill, right hand curve. And so the driveway is a little bit slick because it's been seal coated before. So it's kind of fun to actually hit the throttle again and s- spin the back tires, you know, going this thing while I'm kind of laying down on my right knee.
0: Once my I'm doing that too. and having
1: fun. At- <laughs> 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 not a good thing. Please, anybody watching this, do not do it. These near-death experiences are great if they're natural. There's many, been many people that have died on motorcycles. So, you know, right. may, may Lord uh, 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 have peace with our souls. So uh, obviously this is just uh, something that was controlled by him, and uh, I should have been dead. But uh, anyway, I, I've, I'm on this curve, and there's a hill, and at the top of the hill, it's kind of a sharp hill, and this bike was fast again. So I thought, I'm gonna climb that hill. When I get to the top of the hill, and I'm ride a wheelie and you know, just ride as long as I can down this slope. So I'm coming up this blind curve, blind hill, and I'm about ready to hit the throttle again, probably doing 80 miles an hour because I had to slow down from 100, you know, to hit this curve. So I'm still flying way too fast. So I get to the top of the hill. I go, this is going to be fun. And at the top of the hill, I go, uh-oh. And so here comes at the top of the hill, an old blue Chevrolet pickup truck headed right for me. And the first thing I thought is, Lord, please help me. Because there was no way I was going to stop this bike without hitting that truck. At that speed, it was just, it was just too close. You know, It was a blind hill, so they couldn't see me. I couldn't see them. And this truck was one of my uh, uh, brother-in-law, and we we called him Bonehead at the time, was the nickname, and it was Bonehead's truck, so I recognized it, and chances of a vehicle coming were slim and none because it was our private driveway. So just being mom there, I didn't think my sister and uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law was going to be there, so I I didn't expect any cars, so that was the the only... uh, You know, Murphy's Law, I guess, whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. You know, and I I didn't uh, contemplate that to begin with when I was doing my stunts. So I see this truck and I thought, oh, no, I can't turn to the right. My centrifugal force, you know, won't let me. And it's a real deep downhill into the lake, you know, probably hit some trees before I get there. To the left of me was a smaller ravine ditch, but it was also a hill going the opposite direction. I thought I could hit that and hit a tree and be better off than hitting this truck that's coming at me about. 25, 30 miles an hour, and I'm doing 80. So we're looking at, you know, 100 mile an hour impact about to happen. So I thought, okay, last second, I straightened the bike and I put my body weight and leaned it and threw the steering to the left and thought, all right, I'm headed for the trees. But about the same time, Bonehead, which I was really the Bonehead, not him, even though the name was for him. My nickname at the time was uh, was Bodine, which was just as insulting. <laughs> it was not meant to.
0: Bodine, he's the Bonehead on the path. <laughs>
1: So Bodine and Bonehead met, you know, it was kind of going <laughs> together. So, so I'm thinking, oh, no, Bonehead's coming the same way. So he had the same thought. He'd rather go towards a ditch and hit and wreck there and let me go by. And so I went to the left. He went to his right, which was the same head-on direction. So we were definitely going to hit now. There was no split seconds left. So uh, the only thing I could think of was to jump with, off both the pegs with both my feet and to push up with both my arms. At the moment of impact, and at this point, I was waiting for the impact because motorcycle coming like that. Um, I was waiting for impact so that once I hit, I could jump and land somewhere. I didn't know where, obviously gonna be hurt. So I did, I waited for the hood and I thought I'm gonna be a new hood ornament on this truck if I don't jump. So as soon as the impact hit, it was extremely loud. I was squealing, he was squealing to try to break. And, um, huge explosion, loud noise. And at at that moment I jumped. And so I did get airborne and my body started flying and Bodine, the bonehead decided to look down at the wreck because I guess I didn't have enough thrill. I wanted to watch, you know, the bike be destroyed into this truck and also destroyed the truck. So I'm looking down and as I was flying up and over, I wasn't paying any attention to where I was going. I hit the top of the truck with my head. And so the, uh, people in the vehicle saw this in their rear view mirror. They saw me hit the the windshield frame and had one of those heavy brow type uh, moldings on an old mid early 60s uh, Chevy truck. So I hit that thing and apparently flew over but they saw in their mirror, my body lifeless doing somersaults flying in the air and then eventually about three truck lengths behind us behind them landing on the ground, you know, real hard and kind of a bouncing uh, jostling type uh, of movement. So, at the point of impact and hitting my head, I felt nothing. I didn't feel that. God caught me and cradled me in His arms. At this point, we could call Him the Holy Spirit. We can call Him, you know, uh, uh, any one of many descriptions that uh, Christians believe. But I'll just uh, refer to it as God caught me. So I was cradled in His arms, as far as I knew, and at this point. The birds that I thought I could hear singing, and surely I couldn't because of the motorcycle noise and the crash. So I think this was a spiritual hearing that I was having at this point. But the birds that were singing stopped. And as I was being cradled, I felt like I'm being carried. I'm being carried off somewhere. I heard a song. And that song I'm still trying to uh, produce today. I have some friends helping me. It's been a, a long time in the making. But this song sounded a little bit like a Amazing Grace. But it wasn't so much about the song, it was about a, a language. And I, I think God was playing this song for me in, in a way of a manner of speaking to me. Like, hey, listen to this. It's it's beautiful. It's an orchestra. And the birds started singing again, you know, along with this, this orchestra sounding Amazing Grace type song. Not not being amazing grace, but somewhere in that, in that mood, in that spirit. And so I I listened and then this was a strange part to explain. I've I've written it and did not explain this part because I went from being cradled in my soul to lying back down again on the ground. So my soul was reinserted into my body or adjoined next to, I don't know how this quite happened, but then I remember lying in my body and my brother-in-law, uh, Bonehead, his name is actually Scott. I should give him the respect he deserves now because this was uh, this was Bodine's bonehead fault, not his, you know, that caused the accident. So he was pounding on my legs and I couldn't feel that because physically that wasn't me. He was pounding on my legs, yelling, Bodine, Bodine. He's screaming up to the heavens, God, no, this can't be. And he was he was tearful. And my sister, at that point, I realized my sister was the one driving the truck. It wasn't Bonehead at all. It was his truck, but they were going to a funeral of uh, his grandfather, and so he was. I don't know if he was uh, not in a position to drive or didn't want to, but anyway, she was driving, and I didn't know that at the time. I just recognized the uh, truck of his. So uh, she was there, crying hysterical. My sister Pam, and, and oh my God, he's dead! You know, he, he's dead. I wasn't moving and I I do remember them putting the motorcycle seat because it flew with me apparently underneath my head so I had something to to rest my head on not that it mattered but I guess they thought they could try to revive me somehow or that I might come back I don't know but anyway he was pounding my sister said I gotta go tell mom so the truck being smashed and my motorcycle being smashed she ran back to downhill the way she came from which by the way uh, as as God orchestrates things the window behind me I've been all over the state of Indiana, next door to your state of uh, Ohio. And behind me is the actual crash scene, which is uh, about five miles away. But if we could see that far, it's in, it's in those hills that are behind me in this hotel. And I, I did not order this room. It just, when I came here to oh, get one, when uh, I realized I'm, I'm looking at the uh, crash scene. And so uh, if you'll allow me to uh, grab my book real quick and I'll grab the picture of the crash scene. But um, my sister was running. If we could see it. Oh, I'm not in a position to do show and tell here. Yeah, I see. Uh Is that the road? Yes, this is the driveway. So down here is the house where my sister and my brother-in-law just come from. Okay. This is the hill I came from the blind side of from around that curve and around the lake Uh and around this one. So I came up this hill, didn't see them. They came up this hill, didn't see me. And it happened at the very top of that. And we could actually see it if clarity was good enough today, about five miles behind me. So I thought that that is a kind of an interesting connection. So um, my sister runs back to the house down that hill. So she goes in, and I can see into this house uh, my spirit at this point. And I was still, I had left my body at this point. When my brother in law was pounding on my legs, my sister was running down the hill to go to the house. My soul, had risen again out of my body. I turned to look at myself lying on the ground. And at this point, I was going, what just happened? I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is, this is the way I'm going to die? You know, which really shouldn't be surprising the way my, you know, uh, love for speed mentality was. And so, but it was surprising. So I looked at my body, and I looked at my brother-in-law, still crying, pounding on my legs. But this is it you know And i was uh, i think you used the word last time peggy i was i didn't levitate but you helped me with the word hover i, I sort of hovered not touching the ground but looking at my body and so then i hovered to another level which was to the top of those trees that i showed you in those pictures and so i kind of hovered there for a while looking down some more and so as i looked down the hill where the house was where my sister ran to i could see into the house and i could see my mom was in there cooking it was still early because I had this fire coming, maybe nine ten o'clock in the morning. So mom was uh, of a more sober mind. I can't ever use the word sober because I think, you know, that just went from a low uh, uh, intoxication to a higher intoxication. So she was at a lower level of intoxication at that point. And she was cooking and Pam, my sister ran in down the hallway to find mom in the kitchen and, mom, mom, she was yelling at the top of her lungs. She's crying couldn't screaming mom startled turned around looked at Pam said Pam what is it and she said Jeff I I," had she was crying couldn't hardly get the words out I have killed Jeff and she screamed it out one more time and her shoulders started bouncing by crying you know she couldn't she couldn't get her words out she couldn't breathe my mom was going oh Pam what what do you mean and Pam was so frantic at that point she said follow me. And she was just going, follow me, follow me at the door. He's he's right up here. And so mom, with a bad back, I don't know how she did it. I didn't watch, but she made that fairly long trip up that lane up the hill to uh, go see me. And so uh, at at this point, I I was not looking at my body from hovering. God had turned me at that point, my spirit had led me towards heaven. And I felt this whole time that I had an escort next to me. And I don't know This is the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I don't have any uh, any other uh, idea of entity except for. I'm just gonna call it God again. But uh, I was escorted to heaven, and at this point, uh, there's no there's no more floating or levitating or hovering, to use your your better word. I was fast forward up to heaven, and I did see sky. I did see stars. I saw this and that, and all of a sudden, I'm there, and that. Prior to this trip to heaven and right before I hit the truck, I had this, um, uh, people call it a life review. I don't know if I like using these these terms, but uh, I had like a fast forward black and white motion picture of, uh, in reverse order. I was at this age and I went all the way back to my childhood and I could see some different things all the way. But it, so the fast forward movie of a life review, this is about how fast I went, you know, was it was exalted to, to heaven. And so. As I enter into heaven, uh, people talk about the pearly gates. I, I did not have an experience of pearly gates. I was just there. So it was all white, sort of like the, uh, the screen behind me, the window covering, it was all white and I could see uh, other souls. I could see some to my left and some to my right as we seem to be walking. Of course, my spiritual body, not my earthly body. We uh, seem to be walking, but so I could see people and I recognized their feeling of their souls. I thought, I know that person, I know that person, but I did not have the earthly description and uh, God, I don't think was permitting me to have any further uh, insights into this because uh, whether I was going to stay or not was, was up to him. And so uh, I thought, I know that guy and I know that girl over there. And I know that I kept looking left and right. And so a couple of them. I remember one turned around. Yeah, I know him. He was going like that to me. And I thought, okay, I got to conduct this business here. And so I was escorted up to the, the, the front of the class, if you will, and it sort of felt like i have been in a courtroom before, unpleasant things, but it sort of felt like you're going to the, to the bench, to the courtroom bench, and it's going before the judge, and this is obviously the ultimate judge, not, not a uh, earthly judge. And So uh, it, was, it was a clouded veil, so I, I didn't see it. I felt my escort to my right. I felt my escort leave and go to the back of this clouded veil. So there I stand in this clouded veil, waiting. And I didn't have to speak. Uh, we communicated. There was no voice box. There was no words. But I knew what the spirit wanted. He knew what I wanted. I knew what these other people were thinking. It was all love. It was all kindness. It was all peace and joy. And So they went around and he was kind of like going down the list. This is Jeffrey. You know, he's listening. And then the, the, the audible sounds uh, faded out. So it's kind of like he was giving a report and then, oh, minutes later, moments later, seconds later, I don't know what it was, hours, I have no idea, but I know my body wasn't there, but uh, 15 to 20 minutes maybe, uh, an arm reached out at that point with three fingers extended and then finally an index finger and goes to touch me here. And that it was a touch of kind of like the, with a the message of, Uh, permission granted, you wanted to return to help your mother and to uh, be of more help. So permission granted for you to return. So it's kind of like the, the touch of the right arm from the right hand side of our Lord, of the group. So to me, it was my left. To them, it was their right. The arm came out and the hand touched. And then all of a sudden I felt this beautiful, warm feeling, sort of like I was being cradled and caught in the first place that I'm going to return. So I was on my way to return. And it, it was fast. There weren't any sightseeing. I didn't see people. I didn't get to say goodbye. You know, I was, was just wish I was back. And I realized I was in, in my body again. And so I, as soon as I realized I was in my body, I like, okay, this is weird. I'm back. And I didn't have any fear. There is no fear whatsoever. And as I was, um, if I can find a paper maybe I can maybe I can't I'm just gonna guess what I said as I was seeing the Lord or as I was rising to see the Lord I said Lord I can't leave my mother and he already knew this so I didn't have to speak it because she needs me and he said something to this effect it's written but not not where I can see it um something to the effect of uh Time will heal all wounds, not intended for here on earth, but intended for healing in the house of the Lord. Sorrows will turn to joy in the house of the Lord. So at that point, I was comfortable thinking, okay, yeah, mom is going to be sad here, but once she reaches eternal heaven, there will be no more sadness. So I think that's where time heals all wounds, but you and I and everybody else here on earth know that. Trouble exists, and some things have not healed with time. So it's, right. the intention or the message I got was uh, it's going to be uh, healed in heaven for who, whosoever will. And so as that as the hand touched me, the, the message was not yet. You have more work to do. I thought, okay. And so then I, was, then I was sent back, and then upon being back in my body, I prayed again. I said, Lord, thank you for returning me as I requested. I love you and, uh, I adore you and I, I want to do your work, but there's a problem. I can't feel my body. I can't see, I can't hear, I can't speak. Furthermore, I wasn't fearful of this, but I couldn't breathe. So I'm trapped in here. I, I was, my soul was in my body and a body that was dead. I said, I, I don't want to sound like I'm wanting Lord, like a child jerking on a parent's shirt uh, sleeve and saying you know, mommy daddy one you know i want this i want this so i sort of felt like that nagging child i said is there any way i could uh, you could help me be more mobile so i can do whatever it is this purpose this work that i have to do so that i'm able to do so
0: i, that I wasn't really
1: know. complaining with- yes yes i was and i realized i was in my body and i was i was there i was uh uh, I didn't feel trapped, but that's the, the feeling you would feel of uh, 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 being trapped. My soul was still at peace because I, I knew what e- eternal heaven was, or was to be. So had, at that moment, I felt God again breathe a breath on me. And so my entire body just feels like an like a opening the oven door. You feel this warm wave of heat and warmth just coming over your, your entire body from my head to my toe. And all of a sudden, I had all the feeling back in my body. I was restored to the condition. I was 100% before the accident, no scratches, no injuries, still deaf in my left ear. That was before he didn't improve that, which, which is fine because everything else was given back to me. So, uh, I started to get up and my brother-in-law realized it. He's, he's moving. And so mom and my sister were uh, to the side, hugging each other, crying because they were looking at my, what they thought was a dead body. And, uh, so I start to move a little bit more and I lean up like this to, to get up to, to try to sit up and they get back down, get back down. And they kind of forced me down thinking I had brain damage and I should not get up, you know, to cause further injury. So I did get up. I said, look, I'm going to get up from this uh, wreck. I said, it's, it's not, not the end of me. I said, I'm going to get up and walk away. And they sort of resisted. And then all of a sudden one grabbed one arm and one grabbed the other arm and they, they, they helped me up and. So slow walk turned into kind of walking around in circles and feeling my legs, and feeling my arms. And, but, I, but I already knew at this point that, you know, I was fine because, you know, the Lord's gift. And so all of a sudden, those three were now going from devastation to shouts of joy, you know, because they couldn't believe this, this has happened, that Jeff is not dead, that he's alive. So uh, they suggested, I didn't, I didn't need it, and I knew better but they suggested that we go to the nearby hospital. So uh, I thought, well, I really don't need it. So they got got another car. I thought, how do I explain this to them? You know, I can't explain it. Yes, I see my motorcycle, I saw the whole thing. And so we get in the car and mom's driving at this point. Thankfully she was more sober than not. But that car ride was more scary than the motorcycle wreck because I remember grabbing for all the handles and the dashboard and putting on my brake as a passenger. (laughs) because she was driving crazy and my sister was with me I, I don't think Scott Bonehead went with us so uh, it's just the three of us in the car he might have gone I, I kind of forget that detail but Maybe he had that scared. funeral to go to yes yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking I already went to get dressed and get ready for it oh. and so um, I went to the uh, hospital here in this town the, the other direction from the window behind me and uh, we went to the emergency room and they were ushering me in and there's people there, with, Looked like they were pretty sick, you know. (laughs) Some of the chairs on the right, some of the chairs on the left, and so we went to the front desk and she said, "What is it?" So my sister, I believe it was, was telling her, uh, motorcycle accident, uh, head on into a a pickup truck. Jeff was not wearing a helmet. He hit his head. He was laying there lifeless on on the ground. So the lady was not shocked because she goes through this kind of trauma you know all the time but she said okay she grabbed me by my arm and started walking me back because I was already standing And don't know if she got a wheelchair or not but anyway before I knew it I was back in the, the emergency room past all these other people that were waiting I felt sort of rude because <laughs> here I am I'm fine I'm probably hurting and need to see the doctor and I, I don't really need to see him but you're my story
0: already
1: dead on. you're not dying <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fine you so I, I, get into, I get into the emergency room the nurse is young motorcycle accident head on into a pickup truck Jeff wasn't wearing a helmet laid there lifeless and the doctor was immediately looking in my ears looking in my eyes looking in my throat talking to me feeling parts of my head my neck my back and everything and uh, giving me a a thorough exam and then he goes around more and more time and he what's your name where were you born and of course he didn't know these answers but he just wanted to hear me talk and see if I was coherent so I tell him you know name and where I was born and all that kind of stuff what just happened. And so finally he looked at me one more time. He was concerned about the ears and a brain hemorrhage of some sort. So he kept looking in the eyes, nose and ears, throat because he heard a hit my head. Show me where you hit your head. And so they all showed, I showed him because they showed him a uh, waiting room that was somewhere up in here. And so he kept looking there and went to the back and looked and felt for pressure. And he said, okay, he said, uh, where are you hurting? I said, I'm not hurting anywhere. I'm fine. I'm okay, but my family was concerned. I told them I was all right, but it was a horrific accident, and uh, they were concerned that there were some internal things going on or maybe some bleeding going on. So that's that's why I'm here. Okay, let me go out and talk to your uh, family for a moment. So he we went out, left, and um, I had this vision. Peggy, forgive me. I'm not good at this kind of stuff, but uh, that's not that one. Oh, well, speaking of the Bodine name, this is why I got my nickname Bodine because you can see I'm on an old farm tractor with long hair, but we had a very okay. elaborate, nice hat. so they're thinking, all yeah, right, the planets have bought this. Night.
0: Beverly Hillbillies. Yes,
1: yes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, it sort of fit. And so the uh, doctor's office, I, I found it here. Give me the volunteer papers. In the doctor's office, I was waiting on the uh, the exam table. I had the crinkly white uh, paper liner, you know. I was making little noises, and I just had this peaceful feeling of the the Holy Spirit present again. And so I was having a conversation with the Holy Spirit. thinking, you know, thank you f- for this, and I'm sorry for everything I put everybody through. And Lord, there there has there has to be a reason for this, and. What was this all about? And I was just kind of thinking and playing with the paper liner. And um, as I was sitting there, I had this thought. And I'm illustrating myself as a skeleton. And there's a, a grapevine above its head, and below there's a water, and then over here is grape juice. And in John one, there's a saying or verse called water into wine. And so in an animation and a video, this goes up shakes the grapes and comes down into grape juice oh, okay. and you can see i stole the name. hopefully i don't get sued by welch's grape juice i'm welsh w-e-l-s-h <laughs> so i changed it to t changing the bottle a little bit but the water goes into grape juice and there was a, a theological study i've done on uh the word wine which means um, two things and are, are they're opposing one of them is uh, grape juice mm-hmm. it was called wine is it, it derived from the grape itself and was unfermented and pure grape juice seven to 30 days later, when it ferments, it is alcoholic <clears throat> and also called wine. So the word wine is confusing in the Bible because it has two meanings, one of good and one of evil. And Proverbs uh, 20 uh, verse one, I believe it is, makes that clear that uh, wine is, uh, is, uh, is an evil substance when it's in the, the uh, fermented uh, condition. But Anyway, um, so this was the thought I had when I was in the, the emergency room of water into wine and I thought okay I don't know what, really what that means and I was 19 years old so at 55 I finally do the theological study but many things have happened in life you know to that point so the doctor gets done talking to mom and dad out in the uh, I'm not dad uh, mom and my sister out in the uh, waiting room said so they they told me this story and um, it, it matches what's what you're saying and I was able to verify your name and where you're born and all that kind of stuff and um I said, let me ask you a question. And he kind of had his hands folded like that, a stethoscope here and got kind of close to him. And he put each hand, one hand on one knee and one hand on the other knee. And he leaned into me and he said, do you uh, believe in God? I said, yes. And all of a sudden I felt, yes, the Holy Spirit is connected, us here. I felt a connection with him. Yes, I believe in God. He said, do you believe in miracles? I said, yes. And I started to smile because I, I could feel more of the sense of uh, he and I and the Holy Spirit, you know, on, uh, of the same mind. And so he kind of leaned back and he said, you know, I believe uh, God saved you for some reason. Do you believe God saved you for some reason? I said, yes, I do. And uh, he said, well, seeing no reason to keep you here both uh, physically and spiritually I think you're fine and uh, you're free to go and so at this point I thought thank you Lord thank you for this brother in Christ you know that understands he knows what happened without us ever saying anything so I leave and uh, the, the ride home was very quiet we were all just kind of looking at the scenery, looking out our own window and not really speaking, because we all knew what had just happened. And and maybe the doctor told them the same thing he told me, I don't know, but we all just kind of knew. And so that was shortly after my high school graduation with the the school counselor, the accident happened, the outer body experience, which uh, may have been no accident at all, as I like to say. And so sometime later, I'm, I'm having this feeling of, okay, it was for a reason let's do something. So mom was probably about to take her last breath in her addiction. It was worse than ever. Um, we weren't able to sell that property that we were trying to sell at that, at that location and, uh, financial troubles weren't quite arising, but they were on the, uh, they were on the horizon. So dad was getting a little bit more worried and that wasn't my inspiration, but I just felt like the Holy spirit guided me. And so what I did for mom was I wasn't working uh, necessarily full-time and I wasn't going to school, so I was still kind of taking care of mom, still worried about her getting closer and closer. I thought she had a couple of weeks to live before she was going to die like my aunt Sylvia did and uh, some others in in my life that I'd seen. So all this is leading up to, yes, I have a right for this uh, reason for this real concern. So I started an intervention. I didn't know what the word intervention was. Maybe I hadn't even heard it at that point. So this is a Holy Spirit-led intervention. I just happened to be the one standing there at the door, holding, holding the handle to let people in or out. So I invited, I believe it was a doctor first and there happened to be one that was a neighbor right by us. I invited him over to discuss addictions with mom. And before this, a couple of days before I had to hide all the prescription drugs I could find all the alcohol I could find, which was a trash bag full of them and hide them from mom and hoping she, she had the, the money in the, the car to get her own. So I really wasn't going to stop that. But I told her, I said, I'm, I, I need to uh, do something with you. And she said, have you seen my medications? She didn't ask about her alcohol. And I think I lied. Told her, no, I haven't. I said, but anyway, let's, uh, let's do these things. I have a guy coming over. And so the doctor came over and she kind of listened to his concern because I told him the story. And she was just kind of wondering about like I was in, in the outer body thing and in the emergency and what, what this is all about. So I think at this point, the Holy Spirit was touching her. And then I brought, uh, my sister was at college. So it was just me and my mom. I brought a um, minister in that I didn't know well, but he was sort of a oh an addiction uh, counselor. And I'm not so sure how qualified he was. I'm thinking maybe not so qualified, but his heart was good. And so I had him over to speak. And um, that was another day. And then the third day, I believe I had grandma over, the one that went, but 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 jeffrey never you know and so finally she was able to talk about it and i said i think she needs to hear these things about her father and you know the the abuse she went through and the abuse she went through as a child and so she, we shared those stories for another day and then the last day was an invitation to my school counselor the woman that people called such a bad name she came out and she said uh, gloria she said you know your son and i have had this rapport for a while and, He's been, uh, I want you to know that uh, here is his report card. And She brought the report cards again. The, the one that was real where I flunked because I wasn't there and had all the reports of Jeff being absent. The HP one that she made up. She actually made up a third one because she thought it was college bound. And uh, colleges don't know what HP means, you know, and how to rank or accept me and all that. So she averaged uh, four of my years together and said, okay, Jeff's a BC student. You know, if you average the failing plus the other. So she made up a third one. Which was, I guess, appropriate because that's really how, how it would have gone down. So she showed mom that report con. She said, I, I, I thought he graduated. I went to his graduation. She was really confused. And so the counselor uh, was so kind and told mom the entire story. And uh, mom was uh, touched beyond um, belief at that point. And it was uh, truly belief that uh, helped her you know, to recover.
0: Someone so would she do that. Was, uh,
1: that's right. That's right. And that she felt, she felt the presence of the Holy spirit at that point, you know, because it had been three or four days of this intervention. And so at that point, or maybe the next day after the counselor left, she said, I, I have quit drinking. I'm done. She said, I'm going to try to get off uh, prescription medicines. And so we had this long co- long conversation. She said, uh, what do I need to do? And I said, well, why don't we go for walks? You know, and stuff. And maybe read or do something else. You know, every time you have this urge, you know, kind of a diversion. And I didn't even know what any of that meant. Again, I know that you're a counselor, uh, Peggy, that you've done that with uh, people in a severe situation. So I wish I had that, but I I had the Holy Spirit kind of guiding me. Again, it wasn't me is what I'm trying to uh, say and give the credit to the Holy Spirit. So she did, She, she got better. She started to look healthy. She actually looked like she was taller. Maybe she just wasn't slumped over. Her face started to fill out to her beauty she had when she was you know in high school pictures I can re- remember and that uh, so I thought wow this is this is really working and so I was so thankful and she was so thankful my sister came back from college and visited and I, what is going on <laughs> you know so she was in shock mom looks great and uh, so things progressed and so I call I called dad I don't know how many months later it was maybe two or three Yeah, I call him in another town, and at this point, he's he's bought and sold some uh, uh, cabinet factories. He was running a a furniture factory at that point. Um, So I call him, I said, Dad, we need some things on the house down here in the country, about two hours away from him. And so he, well, why don't you tell me what it is? You know, sort of aggravated, because here he's not really struggling, but yes, it it could have been a financial devastation. You know, our property hadn't sold that I was calling him about. it. It was rather expensive. well, we need different things. I'd rather just talk to you in person about it. You know, I really don't have time. He wasn't trying to be rude, but he was in a a position where he wasn't being nice to me at that point. And so uh, I I sort of insisted. And I said, well, why don't you just come on anyway? I'll meet you tomorrow. How about one o'clock? All right, all right. I'll drive down there and I'll come see you at one o'clock tomorrow. So tomorrow comes and one o'clock rolls around. Here he comes up the long driveway. I can see him coming around down that hill. And so he gets there and kind of shuts the door. And I thought, you know, this is gonna be the moment where one person's on this end of the beach shore and the other one's this way. And they run towards each other with their hair flying in the slow motion. They're gonna give each other a big warm uh, you know, hug. If they hadn't seen that, that wasn't gonna happen. So that was, that was my hope. So Dan gets out of the car, just kind of slams on. What is it boy? I drove all the way over here. And I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be easy. Not gonna be easy. So anyway, I said, well, before I go over the list of things we need for the house, you know, to try to keep it up for sale and in proper condition order. I want you to meet my mother. He looked at me with a dumb look. Not him being dumb, me, me being dumb, I guess. So meet your mother. I know your mother. I've known her since, you know, whatever year, 1950 something. I see, yes. Uh, And so I kind of yelled over to mom, which was a little little distance away, but the house was right there and there was a wall and she was standing behind there. She walks out and dad, last time he saw her, thought mom looked like a starving homeless person. And so she walks out in this beautiful pink dress, hair done up, and nice shoes and, hi, Bob, how, how are you doing? And so he said that he just kind of, his mouth just drops open and he's speechless. And finally he comes up with uh, some words. I'm fine, Gloria. How are you? And uh, you look wonderful. What's been going on? She says, well, this, you know, decided uh, with the help of God that uh, I'm going to remain sober. And so they start talking to him about this time. I was crying more than I was in the counselor's office. I thought I got to leave. So I, I got in my truck and I left thinking whatever they're going to do, they're going to do, you know, as far as making plans or going through with a divorce, whatever, you know, the case might be because I had no clue. So I come back uh, five, six hours later and uh, mom, dad was gone. And so mom told me that they decided she was going to go uh, try to make the marriage work, which had been uh, many years. They were uh, a covenant marriage, first one to each other, multiple separations and multiple divorce hearings. that didn't go through. So we were, we were at the doorstep many times. And so she said, I'm going to go live with him in this other town where the factory is. And uh, we're going to try to make this work. And hopefully you can stay here and try to you know, sell the property. So that, that's what it was so at that point. You know, and at that point in my life, I thought, okay, thank you, Lord. You know, and I couldn't say thank you enough, you know, and it was done. But in addictions, you and I both know 93 to 97% failure rate, So I wasn't gonna get my hopes up real high. I'm thinking, yeah, there there could be a relapse and we do this all over again. Uh, There was not. So mom lived uh, 35 years sober, maybe had a sip or two of wine at an event, which scared me uh, to no end. (laughs) Nobody's out there, oh, it won't work. But uh, going back to uh, uh, the purpose and if you have any more questions on the outer body thing, I'll be glad to revisit that. But it seems like since then, and uh, more recently in the last decade, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon sharing the love of Jesus Christ with somebody else. And this feeling of this warm breath again, like I had when I recovered or when God breathed the life into me again, it's the same feeling I have when I have this uh, moment of uh, another God moment or feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I've had many with other people They say, tell me about you're doing or tell me about jesus or tell me about god and he visits and they feel it and usually they feel it and i can see it in their face and they were going oh i have goosebumps and I said, well i like to call them god bumps i said but let's pray for a moment and thank the good lord and the holy spirit for visiting and joining our conversation i said he hears he hears you he is here and he hears you is what i said so uh many events have happened more god moments and one of them was with my grandmother mom's mom the one with the butt 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 she was on uh, her deathbed uh, 89 years old, uh, cancer was taken over, still had her mind with her. So we go to the hospital and the hospital does this um, mercy thing, I guess we call it. I don't know, but they give her pain medicines, you know, at this point, everything's hurting grandma. So I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the medical advances of doing so. So anyway, uh, they said, well, it shouldn't be so long. And uh, dad was called in. My brother came in with dad and me and my sister and my mom were already there. hospital at her bedside. It shouldn't shouldn't be long. And So we have conversations. We pat her on the hand. We talk to her, even though she's not responding. And uh, the night comes around and uh, she hasn't gone yet. So the next day comes around. She's still with us. We think surely today is going to be the day because she was uh, predicted to not make it past yesterday. To fast forward the uh, story, we're in day five. She has not gone. The doctors and nurses are all wondering, why in the world is this woman existing? You know, all the idols show that she shouldn't be, and uh, but she is, and she was not uh, having any conversation with any of us. And finally, me and or my sister and my mom and I were at her bedside, and dad and my brother were off in the corner. And I looked at mom, I said, I, I think I know what it is, you know, because I, I prayed, I prayed about this, and I felt, felt the Holy Spirit again. She goes, what do you, what do you mean? I, I think I know what she wants. She goes, well, I wish she would just go because it's her, you know, vitals, everything's in pain and shutting down. And why won't she just go and let the good Lord, you know, take her. And so uh, it's her will, you know, a strong-willed lady. She didn't do this because she couldn't, but I was, all I could hear is, but, 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 uh, promise me, Jeffrey, <laughs> you'll never leave. That's what she was and doing.
0: God so, was, <laughs> was telling
1: she to go and she's
0: going, but, <laughs> but, but. <laughs>
1: Oh, had she done that, we would all just flown out of the room, I think, at that point. But uh, So I was, I was thinking this, and she had seen mom sober for 35 years, so her prayers were answered. And uh, she was still that loving grandmother, but she couldn't be happier than what she was seeing Gloria, her child, uh, sober. And so my sister was, you know, giving her one of those uh, lollipop things, has peppermint on it, and some moisture, water, and she did move her lips. So she felt moisture. I thought she could hear so I leaned down to her and I said, Grandma, I said, this is Jeff. I said, I know you can hear me. And because I've had this experience, you know, and so I thought, I know she can hear me. And of course, I felt the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. I said, you know, I, I can hear what you're thinking. You're going, but, 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 yes. Jeffrey, don't leave your <laughs> way. And so I said, Grandma, Francis, we called her. I said, I promise you, I will never. Leave Gloria. I will never abandon her. I will never forsake her like our Lord has never forsaken us. Her head, her neck from this crouched up position straightens up. She takes one more breath of exhale. Peace came over her face and she was gone. And I raise up from her ear and mom just looks at me like, What in the world? You know, we were all patting her and stuff because we knew this was the mom. What in the world did you say to her? I said, I'll tell you later. And so uh, we all just kind of, you know, was around there. And I said, dad, Mike, come over. And so that was the moment. And then the the alarms go off. So this this happens two more times to me with my mother. Let's fast forward the story again. Mom's in the same situation. Went to the emergency room. My brother is the doctor at the nursing home at which they transfer her to the emergency room across the street because she's not doing well. He's uh, also the emergency room doctor. On, a, on another shift. So uh, I get a call that the uh, mom is in the hospital. So I drive down about a half hour and I get down there to her and she's, she's uh, coherent and she's talking, she's in the ER. She's, she was in a little bit of trouble, but now she's stable. We're gonna take her up the stairs to intensive care uh, shortly. And my brother was, since he works so many shifts and he's a workaholic, uh, was already upstairs waiting in intensive care in her room, kind of taking a nap in a chair, in a lazy boy chair. So I'm with mom and I'm having this feeling like, uh, she's going to be okay, but it's not going to be according to their plans. Mm-hmm. I think God has plans. So I said, mom, do you want to, do you want to sing? You know, dad had gone home. we have been there a long time. Dad was ill himself. His nurse had taken him home and my sister had gone home for the night too. So I stayed with mom because I thought this is not what everybody thinks. She's not going upstairs to the intensive care. I just don't feel it. And so I talked to her for a bit. She's in and out of sleep. And I said, Mom, do you want to sing your favorite song? Uh, the title is going to evade me right now. Uh, the Old Wooden Cross. Uh, on a hill far away stood an old wooden cross. That was one of her favorite songs. And then In the Garden, where oh, yeah. uh, the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me kind I of thing. I love that too. Yeah, I love both of them. And I'd sing them with her about every Sunday in the church nursing home service that I went to with her. And uh, so she said, no, no, I'm I'm just not feeling it. I thought, okay, that's not a good answer. So she nodded off again asleep. And so I I go to sit at her foot uh, area where there's a bench and then a curtain behind me that pulls. And I'm just watching her sleep and I'm, I'm praying intense prayer. Uh, maybe for about 20, 30 minutes, and she wakes up, and uh, as I'm praying, and I I wake up, Jeffrey, come here, she says, so I go over there, and she puts her hand out, I grab her hand, it's real cold, it was warm, last time I held her hand, I thought, oh, this is not a good sign here, and so uh, she said, I don't want to sing, but I do want to say um, Psalms 23 with you, I said, okay, and she has these kind of things memorized, and I don't, so I have to run out of the hospital, because the reception, internet's terrible, and so load it up on my phone, and get the page up, and so I have the words, and come back in, and so I have the words, so she's already saying it by memory, and I'm reading the words, and she looks at me, I think it's verse six, I wish I had these notes in front of me, but I don't, I think it's verse six, it says, um, uh, Oh, I can't remember <laughs> at this point, Peggy. Uh, maybe you could help me. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, and she's, she's saying this part of it. And uh, so we get done saying it. And uh, I go back to my bench again and pray. And I look up at her after she's done with that. and She's looking now with her hands like this. She has a blanket. And she's kind of looking like, oh, hey, I know these people. And she's kind of like, she's standing on her toes. She's laying down a bit, but I mean, this is the look she's given, you know, with her head and her neck. And she's going like this and looking up at the top of the, where the, the wall meets the, the ceiling line. And she's smiling and kind of like, you know, hey, I said, oh, wow. You know, so she's amazed and she has these baby doll eyes, you know, and her eyes are just
0: mm-hmm.
1: glowing and look at this and she's happy. And I, I know she's having a vision of heaven. At this point, I know what she's doing, you know, and I'm watching her right at her feet. So I say, mom, I said, are, are you talking to God? And She's going like this. I'm down here and her, and her vision's going like this. And she lowers like this. She's not breathing. I don't think, I don't know, but I don't think she's breathing. Her mouth is open. She has this look, baby doll, happy look on her face. And she goes,
0: <laughs>
1: and she goes back up. And I just go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then all of a sudden, all of her monitors are going off. The doctors are running in and uh, uh, resuscitate or do not resuscitate. I said, let me step outside. I said, uh, she's, she's already gone. And then I, I th- thought our family had said, do not resuscitate. But since we had such a broken family, you know, wasn't real sure. And my brother was upstairs. I go out and call. I know mom's gone. One doctor here, one doctor there. I can't get around her anyway. So I go outside and call Mike, my, my brother and his my, uh, mom's, uh, she's dying at this point. She's graduating life. He goes, no, she's supposed to come. And go downstairs, emergency room. So he runs downstairs. About the time I get in there, he's in there. It came from a different area. came from outside. And he and the doctors are there. And sh- sure enough, she's gone. They're, they're not working on her. There was not a resuscitation. We, she didn't want that. And we knew she was too far gone. So mom, mom had gone at that moment. So uh, one more story, Peggy, and then you can stop me or ask questions. I can
0: only imagine what uh, she saw.
1: Oh. Look on her she, face. In her face and her face. Yeah, we we know it's just pure bliss, pure bliss. And everybody was in breaks there. She had no fear. So people that fear death, if you know the Lord, do not fear death. Enjoy life while you're here to its fullest. But uh, death is a graduation of love. The only thing that dies is your body. And that is for whosoever will. And and my belief in the Bible explains that in detail that I uh, couldn't even begin to but dad uh a year later it's it's dad's turn so i'm looking for a note they stayed together they stayed together so that was until death did that part which more than i can say for myself and you know for most of us living today so that worked that worked i mean that was that was a gift from from god there so it's dad's turn a year or two later I'm working at another factory, which is a long drive away. It was an hour and 10 minute drive to another automotive factory. And uh, I had seen dad in a nursing home. Our family was broken up once again and mom unfortunately saw this by, uh, I won't mention names or who they are. Uh, It could probably be figured out, but I just won't mention it here. So another family member had a severe alcohol issue and it caused another family divide. Not between mom and dad, but between uh, me and uh, siblings and uh, other issues. So that's uh, a different story altogether. But anyway, dad was uh, not doing well, and I had not seen him often. He did call me one day, though, and say somebody, I think it was his nurse. His nurse said, she told me about an encounter you had with the Lord. And And dad was talking about my outer body experience. I want to hear about this. You know, he was real hard of hearing, and the,
0: this
1: is on his deathbed. Uh, yes, he was. Yes, he. Said, I want to hear this story. I said, "Okay, I'll come over." But it was hostile environment, so coming over <laughs> was kind of a difficult difficult thing. But I did.
0: Because of your brother? And, um,
1: yes, yes, and uh, that is factual, so I, I could say that. But he lived next door, and at this point, owned his house and my mom and dad's house. And it was a hostile environment. My brother was not the alcoholic. So I think everybody can now figure out who it might be that's discounted. So I was not welcome there. So anyway, I went to go see dad and the nurse uh, and dad gave me permission. And I don't know if I told my brother I was coming or not, but I, I had a police escort at times. and I, uh, So they they knew of my arriving a few other times. Um, and the police escort was not, uh, something that was forced on me. I wanted it because of the hostile, ugly family situation at this point. So, um, it was horrible. Mom, mom had to see this, but she did. Uh, she was gone at this point at this particular day. So I go see dad and I bring a uh, karaoke machine. My daughter's a musician, plays five instruments. She's a biologist also. And uh, she had an old machine that was in the house. I thought, well, dad's so hard of hearing and he doesn't have a hearing aid. I'll take this. Karaoke machine, put it close to his ear, and I'll speak into the microphone and, and read my testimony to him. And so, Dad hears the testimony, he is somewhat tearful and shaking his head the whole time and smiled a few times. And afterwards, he says, Jeff, he said, uh, It's the most beautiful testimony I've ever heard in my life. He said, Thank you for sharing that. I said, Well, Dad, I know you as a Christian. I know we've had a hard life. And I said, uh, I knew you would appreciate it, but uh, thank you for inviting me over to uh, Share it with you. And so he he said, that's just just amazing. And he just kept looking around and kept, you know, shaking his head, yes. And finally he said, Oh, one other thing. I was there for about an hour. One other thing, he says, I'm seeing this white horse out in the pasture back here. He had a kind of a farm property. We didn't have horses. He had old cars. A so neighbor had horses actually on both sides. I said, So the neighbors come over? He goes, No, no, all their horses are chestnut or whatever color mm-hmm. beautiful reddish browns and the, so now i'm seeing a horse and there, there's a guy on it and he's uh, he's singing and he's singing opera and he has the most gorgeous voice i've ever heard and i thought okay and then my sister was there and i was kind of looking at her She's part-time nurse for my dad along with this other one she also wasn't welcome at the house and uh, so she and i were going no he's not okay but that's okay you know what us that he's not okay he was approaching his his final days as well and so uh I said no it's it's not me so uh, two or three more days of this happened and so finally I came back by myself another day he said Jeffrey and he used a bad word I want you to sing to me he kind of demanded it getting mad at me because I know it's you on the horse out there. I said, no, it's, I don't have a horse. It's not me. You know, I love horses, but I don't have one. I definitely can't sing. I'm deaf in my left ear. I said, you know, I don't sing, Dad, because I you know, don't know how to project, I guess. I don't know if I'm even singing it right. I don't have stereo. I just don't sing because of that reason. No, I want you to sing. He was really kind of fussing at me. And so I thought, all right, there's nobody around. I was kind of looking. I'll sing something to you. So I sang to him and I poured my heart into it. And I really sang. And I thought, this can't be good, but. Hopefully he feels it and hopefully he can get through his mind that, you know, it's love and it, it's not me and that he should just, you know, forget about it. Trying to uh, you know, help a guy with dementia, you know, is, is difficult to convince him of anything. So I, I get done singing and he looks at him, he goes, I'll just be, and he said another word, you know, cuss word that I won't repeat here. You're right, Jeffrey, that wasn't you. He said, because that guy was really good. He could really sing well. <laughs> The inference was, I could not sing well. That <laughs> was not very good. Well, at least he so knew that it's it somebody
0: otherworldly.
1: <laughs> the evidence was before him. It was, it was not me. <laughs> somebody was, so we, we both had a laugh at that. He sort, he sort of got me with it. He, he knew he got me, you know, but set me up. There. Another, another uh, fast forward. I go to work and my sister calls me a month later. Well, you saw dad in the nursing home. He'd gone from his house to a nursing home to hospice care. And you saw dad yesterday and he was doing okay uh, today. He's not doing okay. And he's not speaking. He's just going, bleh, 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 just, you know, just with his lips and his eyes are closed. Medication is probably so strong that he can't wake up. Uh, he's not responding. He's not trying to get out of bed, which is a good thing. We, that would worried us that he was gonna hurt himself getting out of bed because he let me out of here kind of thing. So uh, he was not responding and my, my brother was there. So I said, okay. Pam, I said, I'm about to point out here at work, meaning I was about to lose my job because I'd done this nursing home trip too many days, didn't have enough days off, filed for FMLA that didn't quite go through yet. They were, it was in the works. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm an hour and a half away. I'm going to pull over and pray about this for a minute. And I'm likely going to turn around, come, come see him. So she hung up. I got up to the exit right by my work. I was almost there. And uh, I did pray and in my prayer. Lord said to me, He answered, He says, Turn around, go see your dad, sing to him. I thought, You too? <laughs> I just humiliated myself in front of dad by singing. And he told me I wasn't that guy that was good. Oh, is and this the same day? No, no, about a month later. Oh, about okay. a month later, dad had gone to hospice. I try to skip part of the story so it's not longer than what it already is. And so, um, Lord says, uh, Go sing to him. And I thought, Oh, okay. And then not only go sing to him, he says, "Go sing how great thou art to him." I thought, "Wow," and that that hit my heart because I remember mom and dad in the days before the first separations. Uh, there was an old show I think called "All the Family" with Archie Bunker and Edith. Uh, you have to be my age to remember. It. I
0: remember. And they
1: sang at the beginning of. The, okay, they were they, they they sang at the beginning of the show, and it was awful. Their voices were terrible and they would sing real loud and dad was a piano player and uh, he played the piano and sang and he wasn't too bad and mom would sing and together it was horrible. (laughs) I I had one good ear and I almost wish that one couldn't hear either. You know, on those days when I I could hear him playing the piano, it was terrible, like the Archie Bunker songs. And so they would play How Great Thou Art all the time. And so that hit my heart, you know, when he said that. So yes, I did turn around. I went back and I drove an hour and a half. Uh, It was a little bit further than my house because uh, the hospice was further south. And I get there and my brother, the doctor, he's there and we're not friendly. He's covered up on the couch. And I could see dad over there was like, like that just couldn't respond and looking just straight up stiff, grayish in color. And I thought, yeah, my sister's right. And um I had a feeling he just wasn't gonna make it. My brother was there and I kind of barely knocked on the door that was already open I said, Hey Mike. Oh, hey. He was half asleep, real drowsy. If you don't mind, I'm gonna uh, sing to dad. And he kind of scoffed, <laughs> kind of laughed. Okay, go for it. And I thought, oh, you and I just ought to have it out right now. <laughs> I thought, no, this, this is a God moment. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> so I ignore him laughing, and he goes back to sleep on the couch like that, and dad's over here on the hospital bed. Hey, dad, it's Jeff, came to see you. I understand you're struggling a little bit today. I said, if you don't mind, and I grabbed his hand and it was cold and he's not squeezing mine. I said, can, can you, can squeeze my hand? He didn't squeeze my hand. So okay. I said, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to sing to you. And I was trying to be quiet. So my brother wouldn't okay. scoff at me again. I get close to my, my dad's ear because he is hard of hearing. It wasn't real noisy in there though. So I didn't have that to deal with, but, but that kind of hearing, I was talking to a, a spirit, not, not to my dad's uh, hard of hearing. So I think he could hear me. And so I start singing uh, real quiet in his ear. And I think the first verse, I have a note here, starts with, oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds Thy hands have made. And so I go to the second verse and I sing that one. I think I skipped the chorus. I think there was a third verse. I kind of forget how it goes. But I get to the chorus. I get to the chorus. Dad sings. Dad puts his hands up there. He sings. He goes, and
0: sings my soul.
1: Yeah, sing my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. So for his soul to sing that line, my brother gets up, throws his covers off, comes over to the bed. Dad, how are you feeling? Dad goes, oh, I'm, I'm all right. He says, Mike, did you know Jeff could sing? And then dad kind of hits me with a chuckle kind of like he's laughing. I thought, is this connected to that joke? before and of course i couldn't sing i was crying you know especially i had no singing talent to begin with so in a crying but dad sang it beautifully and that's uh, my brother says no i didn't he says but it's wonderful that you're able to sing and speak right now so we talked to my brother on one side of the bed and me on the other side and i'm thinking okay lord you're 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 healing here i'm, I'm going to be receptive of this you know how could i not after all this so it was all friendly. We were just talking about past times, and an hour goes by, and uh, Dad's time to graduate life has come. And so he does his machines go off, and my brother nobody's surprised, you know, at this point. Nurses come in and check, and he takes his last breath, and my brother and I are both both there. I uh, of course, I'm crying, hugging my dad. My brother without emotion. But it's probably because he's a doctor and he's seen it many times, but I'm thinking, Lord, why is my brother not crying? You know, because I know he feels it. I know he had to feel it, but he just didn't have the emotions I had, you know, at that point. And, uh, but three, three deaths, you know, at that point, it was uh, grandmother, but, but, but and mom, and now dad. And I had this, uh, this presence of the Holy Spirit with all of them. And I, I could not be more thankful for this gift, and I I want to call it a gift, but when you call upon him, he will answer if you give him all your heart, soul, and mind. And with that, Peggy, I'll stop crying. I'll stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) my (laughs) turn, huh? Please do so, I don't look so bad.
0: When you said your dad graduated life, I thought, and I wrote down, Honorary degree.
1: Mm, Love that. Love that. How many people
0: don't deserve the diploma when they graduate in life, but amazing grace gives them an honorary
1: degree. Absolutely. You know, by the, the by the grace we have peace. And by Apostle Paul talking about, you know, grace and peace was the way he signed most of his letters that comes to anybody, whosoever will, I love those words in the Bible, because that says it all, and it's not to everybody, the road less, or the path less traveled, will be the way to heaven, the road more traveled, will be the way of the lost, but it is there for all of us, for whosoever will, but we have to accept our Lord and Savior as such, and John, uh, is it 14, 6, that no man enters into the kingdom of God except through me. So that's why I really can't thank you enough for allowing this second opportunity. And hopefully we can touch people through the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit doing the work. No, uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your, your efforts and your, your contribution. And you're part of uh, the puzzle pieces within my life You know that fit into God's divine tapestry. So
0: There's so many lessons to be learned in your story. I mean I think of the we say she was a counselor that gave you that honorary degree at school. Yes, she was known doctor. as Huh?
1: Yes, they called her a, a D word was what everybody called her. She was kind of a heavy-set short lady. She was mean. Uh, if she had a if she was able to carry a paddle and smack it in her hands, she probably would have. She had that reputation, but I can tell you they were all absolutely wrong. This woman cared immensely about people, so she put on this tough persona so that uh, she could protect the children you know, and guide the ones that needed to be guided. But she is an absolute angel in heart, and she was doing the Lord's work.
0: And what a lesson that is in itself is that someone can be labeled mean, have that reputation, and that's not who they are at all. You know, we can create that's monsters right. where no monster exists. Sometimes it's a saint that exists.
1: She was only mean in that she had a mean internal fire to do the Lord's work.
0: Right. My grandma was like that. She appeared mean and she would say often, I'm not here to be liked. You know, that was not her job. That was not her concern. Her ego was not about being liked that everyone said she was a nice lady and she was not a nice lady and I always thought why couldn't she just love me you know why couldn't she be kind but I learned my Christian values from her and she made sure us kids got to church and my parents didn't go to church Then you may not liked her but you respected her
1: you know at at dad's uh, funeral I gave the uh, eulogy one of a few people and uh, one of them was talking about my grandmother, his mother, uh, she was a uh, prison warden. She called herself a teacher, but it was a, a warden of uh, juvenile detention or juvenile um, detention facility. So she was, she was tough and she was as, as white as she was tall. And she did carry a, a bracelet, leather one that had a tether on it, long tether. And inside that tether, it looked like a nice just leather bracelet, was a steel lead ball. That she kept in, in the palm of her hands and she says wow. jeffrey know." i didn't know her well she was tough she was mean and because i didn't know her well because of our family was broken up but i, I did know her as a christian so that, that was all that was important to me you know what this is i said well it looks like a bracelet she goes no it's a head knocker she says you get cross with me i'll knock you in the head with it and that's what i do with those kids at the
0: oh, no.
1: <laughs> and i thought oh this woman is tough so another time I saw her, at that same Christmas, I had to go find my, my aunt, her daughter uh, near death. Um, she was sharing uh, that uh, tether with me. And at that point, she when I came in for the day, she said, Lord Jeffrey, how you doing? And I was kind of bashful and she was loud, kind of looking down I said, kind of scared. I said, pretty good, like that. And looked up through my brows like that at her. She goes, now who said you were pretty and who said you were good? Oh my! I didn't say either one of those. She said, now going back in the other room and get busy with you know cleaning up or
0: eating. Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> so I'm very careful now when somebody asks how you're doing. I always want to say pretty good, but I'm real, real cautious of saying that. But th- this lady, uh, I knew her as a Christian, and so she would read her Bible, and I was confused about the whole broken up family situation. And right before my uh, out-of-body experience and near-death experience, she mailed a Bible to me. And I do have it here, but I'm not going to go across the room and drag it out. Uh, It's a Bible that has drops of blood on the cover. And she did that with red ink. And she told me in the letter, this is the blood that he sacrificed for you. And so I I still have that Bible today. And that was given to me just moments before. So we we come from Christian backgrounds, but we were influenced by worldly events and worldly uh, sins you know, which tore our families apart. So we we have Christians on uh, both sides. Let's call it believers. The word Christian for people that don't know doesn't mean some church you have to go to, some building. It's it's the uh, church of God. It's uh, a follower of Christ. The word Christian just means a follower or believer in uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So that's what I mean by uh, Christians, whether somebody's in a church or not. I know some that has uh, different definitions. But um, I, I'm so thankful for all of them. And I used that uh, Bible in the, in the eulogy and uh, showed it to people. And
0: now you these, said you were given that Bible uh, just before just before what?
1: Uh, the out-of-body or the motorcycle crash. So I was about wow. 17 years old when grandma gave me this. Yes. Wow. And then uh, 18 was the uh, crash. So uh, again, that was a you know, maybe a divine God moment. You know, the, at the point. and I, I can't say I really read it. I looked at it and I just tried to read it and I thought this is kind of hard. I still have my first Bible yeah. I was 14. Yeah. That's well, all I wanted
0: for my birthday that year was a Bible and I still have it.
1: Now I have some from when I was born little uh, smaller versions, but this one I really appreciated because of the, the drops of blood and I showed that had that, that, that eulogy and everybody you know had, had, uh, had that uh, same Morton feeling. So she was, she was sort of like this counselor I met <laughs> some years later. And I was thinking, you know what? It, it, this this may be a Christian woman. You know, somebody's just strong and powerful, and uh, they don't know how to be loving on the, the warm feeling sense, but yet they're they're doing the Lord's work in maybe a, a tough, uh, a disciplined uh, manner. You know, I just had a
0: thought. I'm-
1: Okay, Peggy, are you still there?
0: Yes, I'm still here. Let's see here. Peggy, are you still there? I am still here. we are back on. Good. I don't know what the video yeah. will do. It says your internet connection okay. is unstable. It's done that a few times. It may continue on. Up. So if, okay. you, if we want to wrap it up, this might be a good place to do it. Uh, we had a storm earlier, and I might be having the effects of that.
1: You know, I had that same storm, and since we're in neighboring states, uh, that was funny that it was started with me, and now it's ending with you. So I do understand that it's a, it's a heavy rain, by the way. Uh, we can end it, and I think you can just end it wherever you want to as far as your editing goes. Yeah. Because uh, we were 99. Is, it plus, may right?
0: have continued as it does it sometimes, or it might. I might have to go back and just find a good place to end. <laughs> we'll see.
1: That's, that's fine. I think we can end it. We were, we were there at this point.
0: Yeah, we got so, uh, through it. At I, least. Can't,
1: I can't thank you. Before enough that for happened, that's you. good. Such a such a blessing to know you and to uh, be a, a brother and sister in Christ.
0: It was good seeing you again. Enjoy your birthday.